On Friday, four friends from South Carolina crossed the border from Brownsville, Texas, into Matamoros, Mexico. Kevin Seif is the Mexico City bureau chief for The Post. And he's been covering the kidnapping of four Americans who crossed the border into Mexico late last week. Not long after crossing the border, um, they were confronted by a group of armed men, uh, shot at, and then forced into a pickup truck and kidnapped. And that was all captured on a video taken by a bystander. We saw it happen before we knew what happened to these friends. Um, And after they disappeared, this enormous manhunt began. This incident has raised questions about the security relationship between the U.S. and Mexico, and the role the U.S. has played in making Matamoros a place where criminal gangs kidnap people, often with impunity. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Arjun Singh. I'll be your guest host today. Today... Kevin and I talk about what happened with this group of Americans who were kidnapped in Mexico and the reactions on both sides of the border. So what do we know about what happened to these four Americans? After the kidnapping on Friday, uh, a massive manhunt was set off. And you had intelligence coming from the U.S. and Mexican security forces, the Mexican army, Mexican police just driving around throughout the northeastern state of Tamaulipas looking for these Americans. They eventually found them in a small wooden house uh, next to a lagoon in the middle of sort of no man's land, um, surrounded by farmland. And at the moment that they were found, two of them had already had already died. Um, the other two were taken immediately across the border to Brownsville, where they got medical treatment. And the bodies of the two victims were sent to a hospital in Mexico um, where they where they were um, reviewed by forensic scientists. And how commonplace are kidnappings like these in this part of Mexico? So they're incredibly common. What's uncommon about this is that it happened to American citizens. That is not common. People get kidnapped in northeastern Mexico all the time. Often it's migrants who are targeted for ransom. Sometimes it's Mexicans who are targeted because of some tension between armed groups. But usually, organized criminals in Mexico are very careful not to target Americans because they know if they do, it could draw the ire of the U.S. government, which is, of course, exactly what has happened in this case. And can you tell me a little bit more about who these people were? And do we have an idea of what they were doing in Mexico and why they seem to have been targeted by a cartel? Yeah, that's the big question. So these were four friends from South Carolina who came to Mexico for elective surgery. One of them had a had a scheduled elective surgery, and the other three came to sort of accompany her, to drive her. And this is really common, right? Like, Americans cross the border all the time for dentist appointments, for, you know, appointments with doctors, um, for the kind of surgery like the one that... Uh, this person had scheduled in Matamoros. Mexican doctors know that there are Americans who, mostly for financial reasons, don't seek treatment in the U.S. and prefer to seek it in Mexico. And so they set up shop just along the border. You know, as soon as you drive across the border into into Matamoros, for example, you see signs in English advertising 
dentist offices, advertising the offices of other doctors. And that's true of basically every Mexican border city now. So certainly this is the kind of thing that happens all the time with Americans driving into Mexico or flying into Mexico, depending on where they live, um, to see doctors. So that that idea of you know driving even from South Carolina to, to to Mexico isn't you know it isn't a crazy thing. It happens all the time in part because you know medical procedures are just so much cheaper in Mexico, and especially if it's something that's not covered by insurance, that drive could make financial sense. So that's why the the group of friends drove into Mexico. What we understand is that the trip came together pretty quickly, um, and. Potentially, this is a group of people who didn't look that closely at, at the danger posed in, in the city, the specific city where they were driving. The U.S.-Mexico border is an incredibly varied place, and there are some cities that are really very safe. Um, and there are others like Matamoros or like other cities in the state of the Mexican state of Tamaulipas where kidnapping is pretty common. And, and this group of friends ended up in a city where kidnapping does happen, armed groups do have significant control, um, and you know where the State Department for, for years has warned Americans against traveling. Um, and so that, those are things that potentially this group of friends did not know. Um, and then what happened to them, I think is just remarkably unlucky. We still don't know exactly why they were targeted. One of the the victim's relatives told us that the FBI told her that they were potentially mistaken for Haitian migrants. Um, And migrants are frequently targeted in this city as a a source of revenue for drug cartels. You know, they're held for ransom for two or three days. Um, And so that, that potentially is what happens. There's another sort of theory that they were potentially caught in a crossfire between armed groups. Um, That, to me, seems increasingly unlikely, given that Matamoros is largely controlled by a single group, and these days are not that many confrontations. But basically, we just don't know. And the the incident itself, even though it's so well documented in in the video, we don't know what led to it. We don't know why an armed group would have targeted four Americans this way. Why are migrants targeted in this part of Mexico? So U.S. immigration policy over the last like six years or so has has forced asylum seekers to wait on the Mexican side of the border, right? So this started under the Trump administration and it's largely continued under the Biden administration. And what, what that has meant is that you have a large group, you know, in many cases, thousands of people in relatively dangerous cities on the Mexican side of the border, um, many of them just sleeping on the streets. And so armed groups see this as, you know, a potential revenue stream. They kidnap migrants, and often they're looking for people who might have relatives in the U.S., and then they ask for ransom payments of several thousand dollars. This really picked up under the Trump administration when uh, the policy of MPP, or what's known as Remain in Mexico, began, and asylum seekers were asked to remain in Mexico while they while they waited for their U.S. court dates. Um, and it's continued under the Biden administration, which has implemented this Title 42 policy, uh, forcing asylum seekers to wait on the U.S. side of the border. And I think it's, you know, it's important to step back and say that, you know, we think of drug cartels as organizations that get most of their revenue from drug trafficking. And that is mostly true. 
But kidnapping is an enormous source of revenue for these groups, um, especially in a place like Matamoros. And so when migrants began, these large groups of migrants started forming at the border, um, it was really a gift to these, to these cartels. Um, and that has remained true for now for about seven years. Is the Biden administration and the Department of Homeland Security aware that U.S. policies may be exacerbating this problem? I think they must be. This is sort of the the sad irony of the situation, right? Where we've seen a lot of uh, comment and action from the Biden administration in the last few days on this particular group of Americans being kidnapped. But the administration knows that, you know, hundreds, if not thousands, of migrants have been kidnapped in Matamoros or cities like Matamoros under U.S. policy. It's just that those are not U.S. citizens. Um, and so they don't, they don't require or they don't bring about U.S. action um, when, those, when those people disappear. And so given the proximity of the two countries, the amount of travel between them, and then the dangers that we've been discussing— how do the United States and Mexican governments work together on these issues, or do they work together on security issues involving kidnappings of tourists? Mexico as a country has struggled with violence and insecurity for a long time. There have been more than 30,000 homicides a year over the last five years, which is a lot for a country of Mexico's size. There are 100,000, more than 100,000 people in Mexico who are currently disappeared. No one knows where they are. There are mass graves found pretty frequently um, in Mexico and people searching for their loved ones all around the country. Um, and so, you know, it's no surprise to the Mexican government or to the U.S. government that something like this, a, a kidnapping could happen or, you know, that a, you know, a homicide could happen. What's uncommon is that we're talking about American citizens here um, because, again, Mexican armed groups are so usually so assiduous about avoiding targeting Americans, knowing what it could mean for them. Um, and so when, when something like this happens, it's a, it's a much different dynamic than it is when a Mexican person is kidnapped or when a Mexican person is killed. All of a sudden you have, in this case, for example, the FBI offering a $50,000 reward you have like the you know all of these different uh, elements of the Mexican security forces that are dispatched to places where they don't normally go, looking for people who've been abducted. Um, it is a much different experience to watch the reaction of the Mexican government and the reaction of the U.S. government when an American is hurt in Mexico than when a Mexican person is. Um, and so that's what we saw over the weekend. We saw a really significant manhunt. Seventy-two hours later, um, resulted in a you know, a half-successful rescue effort. Yeah, I mean, Kevin, the numbers you just laid out are pretty astonishing to hear. And I'm curious if you have a sense of how people inside of Mexico feel when they see all of these resources and this wide manhunt happening for Americans that it sounds like isn't necessarily the case when it happens to Mexican citizens. It was an interesting thing to watch yesterday there's frustration in some ways with like, okay, well, we see what the Mexican government is capable of doing when they're, you know, when they're prompted by the U.S. to react, you know, when they need to, to find someone in rural Mexico quickly. We, we know that they can do it because we saw them do it. We saw them do it yesterday. Um, so why don't they do it in the case of, you know, 
my nephew who's been missing for two years or you know, my, my son or my husband who's been missing for 10 years. Those were questions that we saw a lot of people ask yesterday, and they're reasonable questions. And then I think, you know, there's another reaction to Mexico, which is a sort of embarrassment that, you know, this could happen um, in their country, that, you know, someone crossing the border seemingly for, you know, a, a very innocent reason could end up very quickly being shot at and kidnapped. Um, they see it as a poor reflection on the state of security in their country. And so I think it's all of those things kind of woven together. After the break, we talk about what the response to this incident has been from the U.S. and Mexican governments. We'll be right back. Has the Mexican president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, said anything about this situation? He did. I mean, I think he's in a complicated position because, of course, he's now under enormous pressure from the U.S. to do something. Um, even now, in the wake of the rescue effort, there's pressure on him to crack down on the on the kind of insecurity that led to this. And so he said, you know, the Mexican government will conduct a thorough investigation. Um, they'll do all the things that the U.S. government wants it to do. But then he kind of added a, a line or a couple of lines saying like, well, you know, I don't see this kind of attention when a Mexican person is killed in the U.S. He said that, you know, media, when that happens, just they just are there, their mouths are shut like mummies, he said. Um, he also added something like, you know, he's happy to work with the U.S. Uh, to try to work on the sort of insecurity that led to this, this situation, but he's very, he's very insistent that they not intervene in Mexican affairs. Que van a ser respetuosos. Y eso, pues, se agradece. He will draw a line um, between collaboration and intervention. What has the U.S. government said? Like, has President Biden said anything publicly about this? And are they putting some pressure on the Mexican government over this? How are they interacting with each other? Yeah, the White House, like over the last couple of days, has said that, you know, they, they're concerned about the situation, that it's an unacceptable crime to occur, to, you know, to happen to Americans in Mexico. Attacks on U.S. citizens are unacceptable, no matter where or under what circumstance, circumstances they happen. We will continue to work closely with the Mexican government to ensure justice is done in this case. And we have imposed... So I think what we're seeing now is like probably the beginning of a process that will result in probably the detention of a number of people in Mexico. Um, but will it change the security dynamic uh, in a place like Matamoros? I think that's unlikely. Um, and frankly, like this kind of cycle of an attack on an American in Mexico, a U.S. government response that prompts a Mexican government response, this happens pretty frequently. Um, I mean, this mm -hmm. happens, I would say, like every year or two. Um, and it's always very tragic. Something happens to an American in a different part of Mexico, and it is one of the only times we really hear the U.S. government talk about insecurity in Mexico decoupled from drug trafficking, for example. Um, and we usually then see a Mexican government response that is unlike the way that the Mexican government responds normally to violence, um, and then it's followed normally by a period of nothingness until the next incident happens. Has the U.S. government ever acknowledged the fact that so many Americans are traveling across the border to receive more affordable health care? 
it's not a thing that the that the U.S. government ever really ever really talks about. Although it's it's very clear when you're on the border that it's an important uh, it's an important industry. I, I mean, I think you know beyond a sort of like indictment on the U.S. healthcare system, it, it does also show like just how integrated the U.S. and Mexico are, especially in the border area, um, where you have you know, every day thousands of people crossing in either direction. Americans crossing into Mexico to go see a dentist and Mexicans crossing into the U.S. to work or to go to school or any number of other reasons to go, you know, to go to the mall. Uh, and that, you know, that has been like the history of Brownsville and Matamoros for many years. I mean, they call each other sister cities. Uh, a week or two before this kidnapping, they just had their enormous cross-border festival with a huge parade. Um, and so... Yeah, like seeking medical care in Mexico is now sort of a very American thing to do, um, but it also really speaks to like just just how uh, how integrated these two countries and these two, in this case these two cities really are. Kevin, I know that you're based in Mexico, and I'm very curious because on one hand, you know, you've laid out how these kinds of kidnappings can be fairly frequent. But also you had described the vibe of Matamoros. People are going across getting lunch, having medical appointments. How does this sort of an incident and this kind of violence characterize day-to-day life in Mexico? Is it something that feels omnipresent or how are Mexicans grappling with it? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question. I, I think that people hear these stories and they're often some of the only stories that people hear about Mexico. Uh, so that plus the way that Mexico is often portrayed in you know in film and television leaves a lot of Americans with the impression that it is a place where you know your chances of being kidnapped or shot as soon as you cross the border are high, and that is not the case. It's not the case even in a place like Matamoros, which has the State Department security warning, which has the presence of organized crime. It's still a place where life is lived. You know, it's a place where. It's it's vibrant. It feels very safe. You know, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, you can walk around as an American or a Mexican without any issues. Um, and you know, again, I was there the day before this kidnapping. I spent a week there, and re- I remember remarking to friends like, "This city feels actually like it's really in a in a pretty good place now. Um, it feels like security has improved dramatically." And my friends who live on either side of that border agreed with me, you know, it, it, it felt to them like things were really coming together um, after a couple of pretty dark years. And so for this to happen, as it seemed that security was improving, of course, is really, is a real shock. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is a city that is only characterized by violence. Um, you know, it's also a city characterized by really good tacos um, and really good people. It is uh, a city of almost a million people uh, that feels like almost any other city of almost a million people in a lot of ways. Um, and, and, th- and this incident doesn't change that. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. Kevin Seif is the Mexico City Bureau Chief for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show is produced by Ariel Plotnik, mixed by Sean Carter, and edited by Maggie Penman. If you're looking for the latest updates on this story and all the other big news of the day, check out our morning briefing news podcast, The 7. 
It's hosted by my friend and colleague, Jeff Pierre, and he brings you through the seven stories you need to know about every weekday morning by 7 a.m. So you can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Arjun Singh. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.